You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone, because art is for everyone. Welcome to Art Smart. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and this week, we're going to be looking at film and video. On January 6th, 1839, Louis Daguerre met with the French Academy of Sciences. Daguerre was an artist who, up until that point, had been best known for his dioramas. But at that meeting, he was prepared to show the assembled group of scientists a new innovation that would change the arts, actually creating a whole new category of art. Daguerre unveiled his photographic method. I wouldn't exactly say he invented photography, as Daguerre was building off the work of others who came before him. But his was the first really successful method, and it became widespread because he essentially agreed to share his process with everyone for free. I mean, to be fair, he got a lifetime pension from the French government, so he did see financial benefit from his innovation. But other artists and scientists were given step-by-step instructions on developing photographs and they could do it all without having to pay him royalties. It was a game changer. Shortly after that, others built off Daguerre's work, making photography better and faster. Within a few decades, artists and scientists began to wonder if there was a way to capture motion in pictures. If you listen to my other show, Who Arted, you may recall from my mini-episode on the world's first photobomb that long exposure time of early photos meant that people and animals that were moving would be blurred or entirely missing from those early works. In 1878, Edward Moybridge, an English photographer, created a series of photos that could be strung together to create a sense of movement. This work, called The Horse in Motion, is generally considered to be the first film. Now, basically, all video and animation works off the same principle. The human eye can only process about 10 pictures or frames per second. When you play back more pictures than that, it stops looking like a series of photos and instead looks like one picture that's constantly moving. 
A number of people tinkered with the idea of moving pictures, including Thomas Edison, but they were mostly just capturing short bursts of motion, pointing a camera at a city street to record people walking around, that sort of thing. Motion pictures really became the art form we know today because of the work of Georges Méliès. Early on, he was doing the same sort of basic experimentation with the camera, recording random bits of footage, until one day he was filming and his camera jammed. The hand crank that advanced the film broke. I think he kind of like ripped it off, but he took a little time to repair it and then went on filming. Later on, he went to review the film, and as he watched the playback, the oddest thing happened. The film started with people walking, children skipping, a horse-drawn bus full of people on their way to work. Then suddenly everything changed. The people were changed, and the bus full of workers turned into a hearse. Meliers realized that when the camera jammed, it stopped filming. And when he began filming again, the scene had changed. He had accidentally found a way to create movie magic through editing. It was the first what we would call practical effect. He began making trick films, making people disappear, levitate, experimenting with all ways a camera and editing could be used to create magic that couldn't be performed live on stage. He created the first double exposures using the same film to capture two images before developing so that both images would appear faded and ghostly. He also invented the split-screen technique, allowing actors to perform opposite themselves on screen. In his most famous work, A Trip to the Moon, we see a wonderful science fiction story play out with all of his greatest camera effects employed to send people to the moon where they watch the Earth rise. Constellations are seen with human faces looking down from the stars. Aliens arrive, but they explode and disappear as they're hit. The astronomers are captured, then have a dramatic escape and chase sequence that leaves one tumbling off the moon, falling through space and landing in an ocean back on Earth. It's a surreal sort of fantasy adventure that must have been absolutely mind-blowing to audiences when it was created in 1902. I mean, just to put that in context, this was just about 60 years after Daguerre gave everyone his photographic method. Milliers took filmmaking from a means of documenting the world to an art form, allowing filmmakers to create whole new worlds. Now, after the break, I'll have my conversation with a filmmaker who can tell us some of the methods artists use today and some of the work that goes into making that movie magic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, joining me today, I have Stephanie Hubbard, a independent movie producer and owner of Pure Magic Pictures. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I am excited to learn more about how movies are made. I mean, in my classroom, we go on a very small scale making videos and animations, the stop motion and all that fun stuff. But it is cool to find out from somebody who does this for a living exactly what goes into it. So first off, can you just explain, like, what exactly is a producer's job? So the producer is the organizer of a project. It's an administrative role. It's the producer's job to make sure that everything is happening on time, according to the plan, and as efficiently as possible to try to avoid waste and make it so that the end product is as good as it can be. So the filmmakers don't just like grab a camera and start filming stuff right off the bat. There's someone who actually organizes things. Exactly. And I, if I may say so myself, I would say that the organization of a project is the most important part because it's very easy to be unorganized and go out and start filming and then go back to your computer and look at the footage you got and start editing it together and realize, oh no, we forgot to get this shot or oh no, this actor is wearing the wrong outfit in this scene and it's not cohesive. It makes sense because otherwise I'm just picturing like comic book a guy from The Simpsons screaming continuity error every like two seconds in a, in a movie because like you say, you got to make sure that you have everything, that it's consistent and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. On that topic of that organization and prep work, can you just walk us through like what are the steps and stages in producing a movie so I would break down production into three main categories. There's pre-production that happens all the things before filming. And then production is what you call the days that you're actually filming. Those are the production days. And then post-production is everything that happens after you get all of your footage in the can, which is an old school term because back in the day when they would film, there was actually a can of film. So when you were done, you would say it's in the can. Now, as I said, um, my students always, when they hear we're going to make a video or we're going to make an animation, they're immediately thinking of that production stage. They want to grab the camera and start shooting. Can you tell us what does the pre-production stage look like? What's that process all about? The pre-production stage is the most important stage of making a film, and it's where the producer does the most amount of work. In fact, I'd like to say that if a producer has done their job well, the production days, they're mostly relaxed and just there to hang out, have a good time and supervise because they did all of their work in pre-production. And what production looks like is scheduling, planning out when are we filming what, 
locking the locations. Where are we filming it? Who's the contact person of this location? Do I have their cell phone number in my phone ready to go? Um, making sure all of the actors are cast, that they know where they're supposed to show up, when they're supposed to show up, what you need them to bring with them. Are they bringing their own wardrobe? Are they bringing their own makeup? Make sure that you've clearly communicated with the actors, their expectations, um, getting wardrobe lined up and ready to go. What are they wearing? Who's providing wardrobe? Um, how many different outfits do they have? When are they wearing which outfit in which scene? Also booking the crew. So is it just you filming? Is it, um, do you have somebody there who's recording audio? Do you have somebody there who's helping to set up the lights, which is called a gaffer? Is there somebody who's um, a PA or a production assistant who's just there to help with whatever you need help with? Um, and then from my level of movie making, there's also craft services. Everybody has to eat. <laughs> Where's the food coming from? And then props. You know, do we have all the props needed and laid out and ready to go? So those are a lot of the things that happen during pre-production is mapping all this out and planning it all out and organizing it and sending out what's called a call sheet to everyone, which tells them this is the time that we expect you to be there the day before. And then um, everything should go pretty smooth sailing. Of course, as a producer, you have to be there to put out fires, which is when things come up that are unexpected and be able to think on your feet. But mostly you want to get everything taken care of in the pre-production stage. Excellent. So um, now my students will understand why I'm always hammering them about the importance of planning. Uh, now, after you've recorded, right, that's not the end of it. Like our cameras and our computers are pretty smart, but they don't know how to sequence everything and trim it down yet, to my knowledge, at least. So what does the post-production process look like? The post-production process also relies heavily on organization. You want to organize all of the shots that you got and make sure that they're all labeled in a way that you can clearly tell what they are and um, put them into the sequence with whatever software you're using to edit. And the post-production involves a lot. I think a lot of people just think when they think post-production of editing, which is cutting the scenes together. But after you edit, you also need to um, color grade the footage, which is a really big deal. You can really make a movie look very different depending on how it's colored. You might think of a Western, usually has like an oranger hue or a sepia hue, or a sci-fi film, you usually might have a bluer hue. Sometimes you have to film um, during the day, but it's supposed to look like sunrise. So you can add some orange to make it look more like sunrise. So there's color grading is a really big deal. And there's also audio. And I would say that um, audio is half of the movie. Half of it is visual, half of it is what you see, and half of it is what you hear. And a lot of times filmmakers only focus on the visual and they forget about the importance of the audio, but there's also, can you hear your actors well? And is there music and is there sound design? And all of that goes together as well, then the audio needs to be mixed. And then there's also visual effects. Are we adding in text for the opening credits? That could, you know, that kind of falls under visual effects. It's not intense visual effects, but it's not in the camera. Anything that's not in the camera, right? Yeah. And then also, you know, other visual effects as well. So there's a lot that goes into the post-production side of things. 
Now, on that topic of visual effects, because I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I am an art teacher. I'm the authority figure with the mind of a child. I love movie magic and special effects. Can you explain a little bit about how some of those effects are added? Definitely. So. I love visual effects too. I think they're so much fun and they are added in a computer and there are lots of different programs. One of the Pure Magic Pictures films that we made is called Plunder Quest. It's an adventure film that is inspired by films of the 80s, like, you know, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones. And that movie has an explosion in it. And there are two options for doing an explosion in the movie. You can do it practically, which is filming an actual explosion or you can do a special effect, which is adding the explosion in post-production. And because of the budget and resources that we had for this film, we did not get the permits and the explosive devices to do an explosion on set. And so we actually went in and we used the program After Effects and we added an explosion in post-production and it's, it's amazing and it looks really fun. And we were able to have an explosion that we wouldn't have been able to have if it wasn't for computers and technology. So I think that's really cool. Okay, so you basically, there's two different ways you can do it. There's the practical effects, which is things physically happening, whether it's uh, an explosion or I guess would, if I do the quick cuts, like, you know, I pause, a, I pause the camera, put something in my hand and then start recording again so it magically appears. Would that be a practical effect then still? I would classify that under practical effect personally. Yeah. And then the other category would be like the special effects. That's where you're doing the composite shots. You put video of an explosion into your pre-existing video or like green screen effects and stuff would be in that same category, right? Exactly, yeah. So I love practical effects. It's my favorite. And anytime I can do practical effects over visual effects, I do. Um, examples of the practical effects might be like miniatures is a practical effect. So um, in the Lord of the Rings, you have this giant city, but it's actually a three foot city with a camera that's panning over it to make it look huge, right? So that's miniatures, that'd be a practical yeah. effect instead of doing a visual, you know, a computer generated city. Um, there's also stop motion is a practical effect. Um, like car crashes, stunts, some creating weather, you know, like let's say it's not raining outside. You, you could do a practical effect, which is get a sprinkler system and hook it up and actually hit the window with rain to make it look like it is raining outside. That would be a practical effect. Or you could put a green screen in the window. And then in post-production, you go in and you swap out that green screen with a rainy outside. Right? So there's just two different ways to go about to go about it. Yeah. Now, on that topic of going about it, I always like to take some time in these episodes to talk about some of the some of the different strategies young artists could use if they want to explore the medium themselves. As we're talking about film, I think you probably already picked up the biggest bit of advice I have is come up with a plan. If you're doing something, have a point to it, you know, think it through. Um, yeah. What advice would you give young filmmakers, aspiring artists? My general advice to young filmmakers is, of course, stay organized 
I know passion is really fun, but passion without organization is not going to get you really anywhere. So you need to stay organized, but also put your love into your work because it will really show if you do put love into what you do. And um, don't worry so much about flaws starting out. I've seen a lot of people become paralyzed to make anything because they're worried that what they make won't be perfect or good enough. So I would say just move forward and start making things because you will get better as you practice. But if you're too afraid to step out and start making, you'll never have a chance to practice and you'll never have a chance to get better. So true. Courage in taking that first step is the biggest thing. I mean, I've taken a lot of inspiration from just like looking at the professionals early stages, the forgotten films, you know, before they became really famous. You see, like, even the greats had to crawl before they could walk or run. Um, but now can I can I narrow this down a little bit? Because I also want to get into green screen because that's all my children ever ask me about when I talk about special effects and stuff like that. It's just green screen. And there's this notion that the green screen is magic and it will just fix every flaw in their work. What advice would you have, you know, for those who want to use the green screen, that special effect, but to actually make the magic work? Definitely. We have a movie coming out soon called Sky Hochi Anime Girl, and it's about a anime character that falls out of her poster and becomes real. It's a fantasy film. It's really exciting. And we had to do a lot of green screen work in this movie for practical reasons because we filmed at anime convention in New York City and we weren't able to get all of the characters that we needed there at the same time that we needed. So what we did is we filmed plates of the convention, which is just you roll the camera and you capture the resource that you need. And then in our studio, we filmed the actors having a conversation in front of a green screen. And then we magically put them back into the convention, talking at the convention, but they were really in our studio in a green screen. And my advice is when filming in front of a green screen, the best thing you can do is have a stationary camera. So put your camera on a tripod and have it hold still. If your camera is moving, now you're rotoscoping. You don't want to do that. Just keep it <laughs> simple. <laughs> you also need to think of the perspectives. You know, is your camera straight on? Is it too high? Is it too low? Is it too left, too right? With what you're going to be replacing them and putting them into. What is that green screen going to be become? What is the background going to become? And lighting is very important with green screening too. Yeah, I would second that. And I think one thing that you're you're sort of hinting at, but I want to make sure I come right out and say there, the consistency between the footage on the green screen, the background footage, and the people in front of the green screen that are going to go there later, that makes such a difference. You want both of those shots to be steady on a tripod, presumably, unless, you know, someone's flying through space or something. And the other thing is, you know, that perspective. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen a background shot that is like from 20 feet up in the air. And then the people in front of the green screen are eye level. And it just, that mismatch doesn't work. And 
planning from the beginning as you gather those shots, just to circle back around here in this conversation, it's all going in a loop. Getting that solid plan from the start makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm, that's right. Now, as somebody who always loves hands-on real-world activities and just the engineering challenge that goes into practical effects. Um, I always think of Chuck Close, the artist, who said he was a terrible uh, magician because he always was revealing the tricks. He thought the magic is just so much more impressive when you know the work that goes into it. Can you share, are there any practical effects or special movie magic tricks that we might want to try in our own works. A really fun movie magic trick that you can try yourself is something we used in the movie Plunder Quest. We were filming inside of a boat and the boat was holding perfectly still in real life, but in the movie they were going through a storm and the boat was rocking like crazy. So it took some coordination, but we needed the actors to fall to the left and fall to the right at the same time while the camera was shaking, while we had somebody tie a fishing line to a doorknob and pull it so the door was swaying open and closed, while somebody was also flickering the lights all at once. And when we filmed it all together, it looked like the boat was violently rocking and being shaken by a storm when in reality it was holding perfectly still. There's also a scene in Skyhoshi Anime Girl where there's an earthquake and we did a, the same types of things. You have somebody outside of the shot wiggling something until it falls off of a shelf. Somebody swaying the light, you know, if there's a light, a chandelier that can be swayed or a lamp post or a lamp that can be swayed things like this, and you can really make it look like the whole world is shaking. So it's something, try yourself, is have an earthquake scene, direct your actors to fall back and forth, shake that camera, have someone behind the bookshelf pushing on it until the books fall down, film it all at once, and you can make an earthquake without using any special effects or post-production trickery. It can all happen right there, and you can see for yourself the magic of movie making right in front of you. That's such a wonderful little trick is just paying attention to all of the different types of movements that everybody and everything can be making. I, I love that because my my go-to trick is always just like a magic show. Just wave a wand and something appears just with the, the stop, like a stop motion effect essentially because I have never, I've never progressed beyond like what, Milliers was doing 120 years ago or whatever. But um, I, I love that idea of moving things and moving the camera itself. Final question, any other tips or tricks, any bits of advice you wanna share? My biggest bit of advice when it comes to filmmaking is the story is the most important part. So you might have really cool green screen, you might have cool practical effects, cool visual effects, great actors. But remember the story is the most important part. So keep reading novels, keep learning the how to tell a good story and make sure that you don't lose sight of the story with all of the bells and whistles that are available to you. Yeah, that that writing, it's the it's the heart of the story, it's the soul of the narrative and it's what grabs the audience and and sucks them in is a good compelling story. 
People will overlook elements of execution as long as you get them in the heart right there in the story, right? Exactly. And I want to say, you know, thank you very much for taking the time to share your thoughts, your insights, your expertise. Once again, Stephanie Hubbard of Pure Magic Pictures, independent film studio, um, a streaming channel as well, right? And you've got your newest movie coming out in, what's the exact date in April? It's the 21st. April 21st. I was right. I, w- I finally got something right. April 21st, Sky Hoshi zapping your screens, right? Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Art Smart is produced, recorded, mixed, and edited by me, Kyle Wood. The background music you've been enjoying was created by Less FM, Coma Media, and Music Unlimited. The special thanks this week to my guest, Stephanie Hubbard of Pure Magic Pictures. Art Smart is an airwave media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more, check out my other podcast, Who Arted, or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources.